Hello, and welcome to Sunday Devotionals with John and Rachel. We're so honored to have you join us as we explore God's truth and get to know Him in a more authentic and intimate way. As we go through life, many of us have questions, concerns, and issues that may hinder us from fully embracing who God is and who He's called us to be. These devotionals are designed to help us navigate life and all that comes with it, learning and growing in God. So pull up a chair and grab a cup of coffee, or in my case, tea, and join us as we fellowship. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for another time that you've given us to gather together and to grow in you. We pray, Lord, that as we continue in this challenging and illuminating series that you would show us ourselves, that we would come into a more impassioned pursuit of understanding you, that we would see our need for more humility, that we would see our need for you, God, and more of you. And we thank you, God, for this time. We pray, Lord, that those that are listening would be edified and to be encouraged in their walk with you. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in our Unknowing God series, and as we kind of opened up last week, this whole idea of unknowing God, when you first hear it, it's kind of like, well, I don't know if that's what you really are trying to say. It's a little complex. It's a little counterintuitive, uh, unknowing God. But the point of this series, again, is to get us to evaluate the God that we are serving. Personally and even collectively, you know, we all have this conception or idea of God. We have been raised, some of us have been raised in the church context, others haven't, but certainly um, God is not that unfamiliar to us in some way, shape, or form. But the problem that we run into sometimes is our idea of God tends to be the vehicle that we mold our life around. Our conception of God tends to be the framework for how we see our world how we interact with each other, um, how we see the circumstances of our life, um, how we evaluate ourselves as good or bad people, you know, how we deal with guilt or shame, how we understand forgiveness and redemption. This subject is broad and it's going to make you think because even those who are atheists and those who don't believe that there is a God still has to mention a God or deny the existence of something that they have to actually articulate and deny. So in your denial, there's an acknowledgement of the possibility of that thing. Thus, you have to deny it. And the whole idea of this series is to really help you to evaluate, number one, are we serving a God that we don't know? Is it possible to worship a God that we don't know? Right? And when I say no, I don't mean fully no, but know enough of that the characteristics of that God, the relationship with that God affects how we live our lives. So it affects how we interpret tragedy, how we interpret loss, how we interpret bad times, things like that, right? The purpose of life and all that, okay? So are we serving the God of creation or are we serving a God that we've created? And that's the idea of, of this series. So Acts chapter 17 kind of gives us a framework for what we want to talk about in this series, as we said before. And we won't go into the whole chapter again, but this is a couple of verses that I want to pull out for us as we continue on this journey of unknowing God. But just for a little background, Paul and Silas find themselves on a missionary journey together, and they are journeying to various places. And in this particular text, they have journeyed to 
places of renown. These places of renown are known for high philosophical thought. These places are cultured. These places are prominent. These places are very influential in the world at that time. So various philosophers are, are prominent during this time and all that. And here comes Paul and Silas um, coming to these towns and basically sharing a gospel message, sharing a story, in quotes, sharing another God with these people, um, and it challenges them. It challenges them because they have come to a level of understanding and appreciation for the knowledge that they have acquired. They have come to a, a level of respect and honor of their thoughts and their studies and their research and all that. To the point that if something new comes into the environment, it's kind of like mm, either that's babble or uh, I don't know if you should, it's nonsense. So I think this is really important today because one of the temptations I uh, can relate to, especially you know growing up in an environment where the context of God was so prominent, that the merging together of your knowledge of God and then bringing it out into the marketplace, so that is bringing it to work, bringing it to your outside world, there is always that tinge of this doesn't really apply to my everyday life. There was always this tinge of, and if you're honest, and then this, the only way we're going to survive this series is that we be honest about how we really feel about this thing. Because that's where the freedom and deliverance and the real potency and power of God and his word and the effect of Christ in our hearts. So if we're honest with each other, there are times where it's difficult or it can be challenging to find um, the connection between the church life and how it applies at work or what the preacher is saying on Sunday about Paul and Daniel and David and all of them and how that applies to my nine to five job, my relationship with my, my boss and my work and, and, and my purpose and all this other stuff, which is why we're constantly saying that God wants you to live one life. And in living that one life, you'll be able to better see the context of how relevant God is, Jesus is to what really matters in your life. That's really what we're searching for. Like that, that's what it is. You, you think that it's something else, but the truth is all we're really searching for is an understanding of God. But it's possible that we're missing out on that understanding because we know too much about the God that we've created and not enough about the God of creation. So Paul and Silas find themselves going through Thessalonica and Berea, and now they come to Athens. And Athens, as we all know, is one of the most prominent and renowned places for philosophical thought. And they're dealing with the cultural trends and the uh, prominent thought about things that really matter, like what's the purpose of life and, and uh, why are we all here? And is there even a God? And if there is a God, is the God concerned about me? And uh, if that God is concerned about me, then why is there suffering? And if that God is loving, then why is he allowing suffering to happen to innocent people? Um, and all these questions are now being posed here during this time. Now, one of the verses that I wanted to draw attention to, Acts 17 and 20, and this is the NIV version today. And it reads, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about 
and listening to the latest ideas. Now, if that doesn't encompass a lot of what's going on right now, I don't know what else does. When you think about social media, you think about everybody's opinions being vocalized. Everybody has something to say about everything. And a lot of times it's, it's just, you know, that's just, it's just what people think, right? And, and, and it's, it's, it's conjecture, it's, it's past experiences, it's all this. And the subject of God's involvement in our lives, the subject of just what's relevant in life, is just open to interpretation. It's open to, and, and, you know, we, we, and it's the temptation for us to kind of be drawn to conversations that appease us and kind of uh, cancel out those things that don't really apply or that we don't want to hear to make that makes it difficult for us to even see the light of truth in any subject area. And I, I, I'm so, I'm so um, fearful for our kids and, and this generation where uh, th there's this, all of this knowledge and all of this information that they're being bombarded with. In addition to all the feelings and things like that, that they're going through, it's, it's a very difficult time with all the information and all the noise that's being created to even find a sense of yourself, let alone an understanding and a healthy understanding of God. They find themselves in a similar place. People are gathering in their groups and just sharing ideas and just talking about things, talking about these issues, talking about these um, subject matter that we have mentioned here before. So along comes Paul with this message of Christ. And it sounds foreign to them because it actually is contrary to what they've been thinking, but also might provide an answer to the questions that their thought has not been able to provide. And I think that's profound there. Like, no matter how smart we are, there's always going to be a question about what we think we know. And I propose that God has designed it that way so that by chance we may stumble upon an answer that only he can give. And that's the whole point of this whole thing. So just a little um, background. Today, I kind of wanted to talk about the cultural context of this time. So there were two groups that were mentioned in this text that I kind of want to talk about them a little bit and then to kind of help us to see the climate that, you know, this whole thing took place in. So there was the Epicureans and there were the Stoics. Now, these two groups were basically uh, very prominent in this area. And the reason why I think this is important is because the first point of reference in understanding um, God is to first acknowledge that he's relevant to our time. I, I think that's where it has to start. Like it has to start with the fact that in order for us to understand God, we must unknow what we've known, quote unquote, about God's relevance. That taking God out of the church solely, taking God out of the context of religion and putting God on the circle of the earth, where the Bible says that the earth is his footstool, right? So look at what we've done to God. Put him in a church, limit him to subject matter, when at the end of the day, he's the God of creation. He created everything and everything in it. And I think taking God out of our box of religion is what allows us to be able to see how relevant God is in his godness to every aspect of our life. So a little bit about these groups, and I'll just start with the Epicureans. Um, they basically argued, now watch this, 
the philosophy of the Epicureans was that they argued that pleasure was the chief good in life. Like they advocated for living in such a way as to derive the greatest amount of pleasure possible from one's lifetime. And in doing this, they would avoid suffering and they would be able to maximize pleasure. Now, what does that sound like? Now, if that doesn't sound like what, what this world, what, we're, what we are right now, like it's, it's, this is a me generation, right? It's me too, it's, it's, and, and this is not to, to, to devalue all of these slogans and, and initiatives that we have, but we must be honest with the driving force of everything that is going on right now is we want to live life the way we want to live it. And the more pleasurable it is, the more we can indulge, the more we can ensure our happiness, that's the chief goal of our life. And if God is not a part of that plan, then he ain't God. If you call someone an Epicurean, what you're really saying was, this person is fond of or adapted to luxury or indulgence in sensual pleasures. Having luxuries, tastes, and habits, especially in eating and drinking, delicacies, things like that. Now, there's no wrong, nothing wrong with luxuries now. Don't, don't get me wrong. We're not talking about, hey, listen, everybody got to be poor and all that. No, 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 no. I like to find other things too, okay? But th the point we're getting at is, are those, are those finer things driving your life? Like, are you motivated in life because of finer things? Like, is your pursuit of happiness the pursuit of indulgence? And everything else is canceled out. Everything else is null and void because life is just about making me happy. This is, this is the Epicurean way of thinking. As far as, you know, the, the whole idea of good and evil, they also thought that natural evil challenges the belief in God. So here comes this idea of if God is so good and God knows about all this suffering, then why does he allow it? And how can God really be all knowing, all loving, all caring, all sufficient, and he allows these types of things to happen? So if God is all these things and he's allowing these things to happen, then he does not exist. If God is so good and things are happening in life where people are suffering and there's no answer for it, how can there be a God? Live your best life now. That's the modern way of the Epicurean thought. So don't preoccupy yourself with the gods. And that was their idea, the gods. So Zeus and all that, you know, the gods. Because they're not really all that concerned about you. Think about this. Think about the prevailing temptation that we all have of questioning whether God is even concerned or cares about us. Think about the temptation that we are dealing with to fall into these ideas and these preconceived philosophies about God. And how easy it is when we have circumstances and problems in our life to say, God must not care, or to think it, or to believe it, or to live as if he doesn't. Then there comes a question, well, what do we know or what do we need to unknow about God's care? What do we know and what do we need to unknow about God's concern? And if we're connecting God's concern to the evil in the world, we have limited ourselves to a very human view 
of an eternal and sovereign God. What they believe about death, Epicureans believed that the fear of death was the biggest obstacle to living a full life. Epicurus said, this is a quote from him, death does not concern us because as long as we exist, death is not here. And once it does come, we no longer exist. So there's this whole idea of if I can live a life that is free of the fear of death, if I can live a life that is full of pleasantries and luxuries and, and do whatever makes me happy, then I don't have to worry about death. I don't have to worry about any of these things because at the end of the day, if I die, I don't exist. And nothing exists after that because there is no God because God doesn't care about us because if he cared, then there wouldn't be this much evil in the world and we would just be able to be happy all the time. Now, that's a very minimalistic view and I'm, I'm, I'm condensing it because there's a lot more layers to it. But the point I'm trying to make in this whole looking at the culture of this time and even this Epicurean thought is that it's very common and very real and very apropos to our time today in this world. The Stoics were a little different. Stoicism was designed basically to help people live the best life possible. And when you think about it, that, that, that's, what, that's what we're all trying to do. Like, like that's what the human temptation, the human goal is in our humanity, is to live the best life possible with what we have, right? Maximize positive emotions, reduce negative emotions, and help people to hone in to the virtues of their character. This is where I think we need to take a couple minutes here. Because there's this idea that in some way, shape, or form, there is virtue enough in us to be good people at the core, right? And, and this is another point of us being extremely honest with ourselves, right? Oftentimes I've had conversations with people and uh, even when we're talking about like God and, and our need for God and our need for Christ's redemption and, and salvation, I have these conversations with people and, and uh, one, one thing that they often say is, well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person and, and I just try to live a good life and I just try to be good and be kind and be compassionate to people, right? And, and it sounds good, right? That, that's a noble pursuit. But when you think about the, the depth of humanity and the, the height of what the standard of perfection is and the standard of goodness is, in the God context, it's not possible for us to really be good people. Think about, th th just think about this, like, 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 like our motives, right? Just think about this, like, you know, um, if, if you do something as simple as hold the door for somebody, right? You're sacrificing your time. Like you, you, you opened the door and you could have just walked out to your car. But instead, you look behind you like a good person and held that door open. And the person might have been really far away. And you held that door and you like, you know what, in your mind, you're waiting for two words as you're holding that door, as your arms are getting tired, as you're thinking about why this person's taking so long, as you're thinking about the fact that maybe I shouldn't have held this door this long because I got to go, you're waiting for two words to come out of that person's mouth when they come through that door. God forbid they're a person that is of a certain difference than you. Come on, we know what we're saying. God forbid they're a person that may seem or look like they might be entitled or they just used to automatic doors. God forbid it's a person that has automatic doors everywhere they are. 
And all of a sudden, they, they can't see they, they can't see that this door is not automatic. They, 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 they walk by and don't say those two words, thank you. Sometimes it's, it's nice to hear that extra exclamation before, like, oh, thank you. It feels good, right? Just thinking about the reasons why we do things. It doesn't feel good when there's no gratification because we did certain things. So we can say we're good people all we want, but at the end of the day, we are designed to want to pay back. In some way, shape, or form, even if it's not monetary, some of us vary on degrees. Some of us put a pin in different things, like, okay, okay, I did something for that person, so down the road, I'm going to cash it in. And we know, and we know, and listen, that's business, that's relationships, that's how it is. But the point in all of this is to really get us to see that the goodness that we ascribe to ourselves is not necessarily void of selfishness. It's not necessarily completely pure and void of some type of motive that would end up repaying us. And only honest people can admit that. Only honest people will be able to say, you know what, there's, there's some truth in this. And, and, and why are we saying this is because at the end of the day, this whole idea of ascribing our own goodness undermines our need for God. The way we see ourselves, and if we're conditioned to see the deeds that we do and to see you know, how we live and how we treat people strictly in a moral sense, it's very easy to confuse moralism with salvation. And it's very easy to be a good person that ends up not being good enough in his own strength to please God. So this is this area here where it's kind of like, okay, the challenge in this series is for us to unknow our definition of goodness. Unknow our definition of what personal goodness is, our own goodness, our own pride, our own definition of love, our own definition of how we care about each other, and seek to know what God means by that. And when we understand the God definition of those things, we'll also be able to appreciate the fact that God uses good and evil to create good. See, that's what it is. So like, like good, 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 good can equal evil in our hands. There's a lot of good people that did good things that to God, it was horrible. And some people in our own minds, we think it's good. Like slavery was justified biblically by people who thought that it was their right to do it. There was the crusades and there was all this killing and all this stuff was happening because they thought that it was good. The context of their goodness caused them to do heinous things because at the end of the day, it was motivated by what they wanted in return. And no, none of us are doing that, thank God. But think about your own personal relationship and think about the standard of goodness that you hold yourself to personally that sometimes is undermined what God really wants from you. This whole idea of living a good life and controlling as many variables as you can and avoiding negative emotions and all these other things that we try to do to manage life and to go through life and to live a fulfilling life. At the end of the day, and we're honest, we know that there's still a big fat hole there. There's still some unanswered question here. The fact is you weren't designed to be good on your own. It's impossible. It's impossible.
It's impossible for us to think consistently pure thoughts in our lives every day. And we got to be honest about that. So in our honesty, in our transparency, and in our humility and acknowledgement of our humanity, that's where we will find our need for God and then end up finding God. And what God challenges us to do, and this whole idea of God challenges us to do, is to not think lifetime, is to think eternally. Because if you take eternity out of life, out of this whole concept of life, then there's no achievement of anything better because we're all limited to our interactions with each other. And if we, by and large, in our humanity are flawed, evil, selfish, and products of that, the only thing we can do in our own strength and in our own goodness is perpetuate that in some other way. So may God show us our need for him all the more. So this particular study of the culture is supposed to help us to see where we all are right now. And the question on the table for all of us is, where are you in your thought life concerning God? Where are you in your understanding of your current circumstances? And where does God sit in that? How does God relate to the things in your life that happened or that are happening now that are not pleasurable? Is your definition of God is in control mean that God is not going to allow anything bad to happen to me? Or God is not going to allow anything to happen that's going to cause any inconvenience in my life. And if any kind of inconvenience or anything happens in my life, it's going to cause me to look at God or charge God or blame God or be mad at God or write God off. There ain't no God. So today, the whole point is to cause us to look very deeply at our understanding of God. One thing about this particular text that I thought was really powerful is although these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers hear something that sounds like babbling to them, there's still a curiosity to find out what it might be. And this is why God likes us to ask questions. He says, seek and you shall find. And seeking sometimes is not always, like the motive of seeking is not always pure. Sometimes you're seeking things to debunk it. Sometimes you're seeking things like, let me hear how silly this sounds. Let me hear this silly story. And then that silly story is the answer that your high-mindedness was looking for. The Bible says that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. He's using this silly story to show these people who God really is. He's showing them an unknown mystery about what they have been reaching for. See, in all of our intelligence and all of our smarts and all of our stuff, all we're doing is this. We're closing our eyes, we're blind, and we're just reaching. We're reaching for stuff, and we're reaching for what feels good and for what sounds good and all that. And all the while, God is using our reaching to introduce himself to us. So I encourage us, even in this series, like, God is not intimidated by your questions. Ask them. God is not afraid of your questions. One of my favorite scriptures, Jesus was talking to disciples and he said, I got so much more to tell you, you just can't bear it yet. Like you don't have the capacity to understand everything that I want to share with you. Keep living. 
keep watching, keep asking, keep seeking, keep searching. Once we have felt like we have gotten to the end of God, we've missed him. And that's what religion does. That's what tradition does. That's what church culture does. It makes you feel like you found God. It makes you feel like you have arrived. Because you did your good deeds and you went to church and you gave and you did all this other stuff. You, you, you're good. But yet you don't have the understanding and knowledge of God that sustains you through the traumas of life. That sustains you through the times where you don't have no answers and you're confused and you're hurt. God wants us to take him out of the church context and put him back as the creator of the universe. The unknown God. The unknown God that we are unknowing so that we can get to know better. It's that, man, like that amazement. Like I, I pray that that amazement for God, that amazement when you look into the sky. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week. When you look into nature and creation, the Bible says he created everything and everything in everything. Just come on. We haven't even scratched the surface to what is at the bottom of the ocean, crawling down in the deepest depths of the core of the earth. He created it. Job says he walks the seafloor and waters the vegetation in places that we can't get to in our humanity. This is the amazingness of God. This is the unknownness of God that wants a relationship with you, that cares about you. That is unbelievable. And I think we, we will come into a better apprehension of believing that once we start putting down our own philosophies about how life should be. The God that created everything and everything in it wants to reveal the path that makes the most sense for my life. And I miss it because I know too much. I know too much about God. I know too much about me. I know too much about everything. So if this series doesn't draw us into anything else but a more humble pursuit of God, and we that have, quote unquote, been around God all our lives and known God so deeply and intimately, if we are willing to now unknow what we know, God is going to give us a brand new revelation that actually sticks and that will be able to help us through life when it matters. And we won't be wavering as things happen in our lives. We won't waver. We'll have the confidence in the God of creation and be able to see clearly that maybe we've had a lot of idols in our lives and we've put things up and thought they were God, but they weren't. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. We thank you for what we have heard today. And we thank you for giving us an opportunity to have the scales removed from our eyes. That we can see you, God, for who you are. We pray, Lord, that even as we continue to meditate and chew on the things that we've heard, that we would have the courage and the humility to put down those things, to challenge the ways of thinking that we have, put in the place of a true and real understanding of you. Pray, Lord, that you would allow your light to shine on our hearts and on our minds, that we might be able to see what is not you. We may be able to distinguish the truth from deception. And we pray, Lord, even more that we would come into an impassioned understanding of your love for us through Jesus Christ, that he overcame death so that we might have life. So thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Bless us as we continue to grow together. In Jesus' name we pray. Before you go, we'd like to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. 
Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart, we shall be saved. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize and acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of your grace. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn away from my sins and ask you to forgive me and save me. I make you Lord of my life. If you made this life-changing decision, welcome to the family. We wanna know about it. Connect with us online at www.thelifehouseministries.org or by downloading the Lifehouse app. We love you all and pray God continues to bless and keep you.